0: Well, good morning and happy new year to you. When I think about new year, I, the new years, I've always thought about, think about a fresh start, a new beginning and the year that's ahead of us. And when I think about those things, I think that all the things that will try to catch our attention, some of those things will be good things. Maybe personally, you may want to grow in your position at work, or maybe there's job advancement, or maybe even a job change for you this year, or maybe personally as a family, you're deciding that you want to save more money, maybe exercise or the infamous I'm going to lose more weight for Jeff that announced his sin of not losing 20 pounds this morning. But maybe as a family, you're going to choose activities and sports that your family will invest in. But we all know that these things require commitment. They require time and they require money and discipline. But you know, there's other things that are going to try to grab our attention this year. We live in a super tech savvy world where information is faster than ever. We can find ourselves following different things. Maybe it's fashion trends, maybe it's sports teams, maybe it's news channels, and maybe it's social media itself. But the truth is what or who we, ma- we follow matters because we're all following something, right? The question won't be, are we following, but it's who, what, and why we're following it. I think too often we can lose focus on what Jesus has prescribed, what it means to follow him, both individually as a person and as a church. And I think the Bible makes super clear that the church exists to make disciples who will in turn make disciples. And so this morning, I I want us to look at the basic foundational call of what it means to be a disciple who is following Jesus, who's being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter one, we'll start in verse 16 through 20. And as you're going there, we're gonna see how Jesus defines following him and know that the book of Mark has actually been known to be a discipleship manual, which presents Jesus's universal call of what it means to follow him, meaning what's a disciple and how do we make them? And the other option is, is also is evangelism, which was Jesus's priority to proclaim the gospel calling sinful men and women like you and I to turn from our sin and selves and believe and trust in him for salvation. This was the message that Jesus came with and that we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And so this morning we'll see some truths of Jesus calling the original disciples and what it meant for them to follow him. And then we're going to apply those truths to us this morning for the remainder of our time, that what a disciple for us looks like according to Jesus and how he plans to build his church through sinful men and women like you and I. So let's look at Mark, starting at verse 16 and reading. It says, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Now here's Jesus. He's walking on the sea of, by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, who is also known as Peter, with his brother, Andrew. They're casting nets into the sea because they're fishermen. Now we know in John chapter one that Jesus already knew these brothers, right? Andrew was actually a disciple of John the Baptist at one time. And if we remember, John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. So Andrew goes, we know the story. Andrew goes to get Peter. They spend the day with Jesus, right? And here in Mark, he picks up where Jesus is tracking back to find these brothers casting their nets into the sea. Now, what I want us to know, this is not like what you see on Saturday mornings, like the the show Bassmasters on ESPN. You know what I'm talking about, where these guys go around in their boats and they're trying to see how many fish they can catch to see who can win. Now, this this is a commercial business. This is a busy fishing place where the fish would be sold all over the Mediterranean world. And look what Jesus says to them in verse 17. He says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. These brothers who had shown interest before, now they're going to follow Jesus. What's unusual about this is this is a command from Jesus, right? Typically, rabbis or teachers did not do this. And even the people of Israel, they knew that the prophets of old, they never told people to follow them. They would always say, follow God, obey God and follow his law. And here Jesus says to them, no, you follow me. And we got to know this is not just a command, but it's not a casual call either. Jesus is saying to these brothers, listen, I'm calling you to absolutely abandon everything for me, right? To turn from your sin, to turn from yourself and follow me and come be with me. Drop your way of life and follow me. I'll change you to be like me. I'll show you how to fish for men. And this is how the the kingdom of God would advance. But Jesus demanded everything of them, right? These brothers had an encounter with God in the flesh, church. The savior, the king, the Messiah. And look what happens in verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now, listen, if you know anything about these guys, especially Peter, they're no pushover. They're not pushovers, right? You remember Peter in chapter eight of Mark? He's confessing Jesus as the Christ. And then in a few verses later, he's rebuking Jesus when Jesus foretells of his death and resurrection. And then Jesus is going to rebuke Peter back by saying, get behind me, Satan. How would you like that said to you? All in one sitting, right? All in a few verses. But this same Peter will also deny Jesus, but he'll also be restored to Jesus later. But now he's going to drop everything along with Andrew, his brother, and they followed Jesus. And these are going to be his first disciples. And now walking with him, watch what he does. He shows, Jesus shows him how he'll call another set of brothers. Verse 19, and going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother who were in their boat, mending their nets. Now these guys aren't pushovers either. Do you know, do you remember what John and James were called? What their nicknames were? Sons of thunder. How would you like to have that name? on your title, the sons of thunder. These same guys were got so angry with the Samaritans at one time they asked Jesus if they could call down fire to kill them, you remember? Or another time they had to ask their mom to get their mom to ask Jesus if one could be on their left and one to be on his right in his kingdom, right? (laughs) This is who Jesus is calling to follow him. Not exactly the spiritually elite, huh? But anyways, James and John, fishermen, they're in partnership with their dad, and they're in partnership along with Peter and Andrew. We know that from Luke, Luke chapter five. So same business, they're working, they're mending their nets so they can go fish again and watch what happens in verse 20. It says, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. Now, can you imagine that if you were their father? You're working, here comes Jesus. I can imagine them be, him being a little bit upset, wouldn't you? while you're working on the business that day. But Jesus calls these men, leave your business, your hired servants, your family, your priorities, your plans, your sins, and their very selves and says, come and follow me. This is amazing obedience. Even in Mark two, Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, whom by the way, fishermen did not like tax collectors. He's sitting at his booth working and Jesus says, follow me. And he gets up and follows Jesus. It's the same call with the original 12, right? It's amazing. It's sudden. It's drop everything instantaneous obedience. All these brothers coming from different backgrounds, coming from, coming from different stages of life. Some of them are married. Some of them are not married, but those things did not unify them. What unified them was Jesus and his mission. It was Jesus and his mission. And he called them to abide in him in his love. And in return, he said, I will transform you to bear fruit, to have a love for God and to have a love for people, to make disciples so that God is glorified. And even Jesus modeled this for them, right? Of making disciples. Even in John 17, Jesus is praying to the father and he says, father, I've glorified you on the earth, having accomplished all the work that you gave me to do. This is before his death and resurrection. He says, Father, I've glorified you by making disciples who are going to make disciples. And that's how the Lord did it. He set an example. He gave it to them and to us as a command. And he says, follow me and I'll teach you. And so what I want to do this morning is look at verse 17 a little closer, which I believe Jesus gives us individually as a church, a pattern of what it means to follow Jesus. Defining what a disciple looks like and what they do. Now this was the call for the original disciples. It's the same call that Jesus had for you when he saved you. Know that this call was not for the elite. It's not for the gifted. It's not for the professionals, but every disciple that follows Jesus. Verse 17 says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And so as a church this year, can we just define what a disciple is? according to this verse and what Jesus is, is, is making here, a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? First, disciples of Jesus, they marvel at his grace. They marvel at his grace. These men were ordinary, common, not always respected. Sometimes they were arrogant, not the most spiritually qualified for the task. Sometimes they were narrow-minded. They were not the religious elite, not the most highly educated, but they were laborers. They were political zealots, a dishonest tax collector and small town nobodies, and they were sinful and broken. And that's who Jesus chose to turn the world upside down. Sounds sort of harsh, doesn't it? But not until we realize that they're a picture of you and me in this room today. If you're a follower of Jesus today, It's because he called you and he initiated the relationship with you, not because of anything good in you or I, I love Ephesians two, eight, nine. It says for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And like them, Jesus knows our thoughts. He knows our hearts. He knows the words that come out of our mouth. He knows what we do. And yet he called us He sees everything about you and I, and he invites us to follow him. You saw your need, you saw your brokenness, you repented and you turned from your sin and you trusted in him. And in return, he saved you from your sin and yourself and gave you his spirit and he changed you completely. It kind of reminds me of a illustration that I heard a pastor say once. Let's just pretend this morning that I was 15 minutes late uh, coming to church And the story that I gave you was that on my way to church this morning, I'm driving down the highway and a nail goes into my tire. And so I pull off the side of the highway to get out to change my tire. And so in the process of trying to take the tire off and put the spare on, I accidentally stepped out into the middle of the road and got hit by a Mack truck. Right. I get hit by a Mack truck. I get up after getting hit by the Mack truck. Right. I go back to my car. And and then I take the spare and I put it back on the car and I try to hustle here as fast as I can to be here. Now, if I came here and I told you that story, you would think one of two things, right? Either this guy is super deceived or he's a liar, right? Because we all know if you get hit by a Mack truck on the highway, you're not gonna look the same. (laughs) And you may not get up. (laughs) You're not gonna look the same. That's what it means when Jesus enters into your life. When you come to Jesus in faith, he reaches down into your heart. He saves you from the clutches of sin and self. You and I are going to look different by the power and work of the spirit. And that's why it's impossible for us to confess or profess to be followers of Jesus and look and act like the rest of the world. It's super impossible. If you're a follower of, this, of, this, of Jesus this morning, be in awe that Jesus rescued you. Do what I do each and every morning. I, re, I, I remember where I was, where Jesus has brought me from, where I would be without him. And I preach the gospel to myself daily. I dig the gospel deep into my heart and remind me of the pit of sin that I was in, but that we can be made pure in Christ, right? Remember his grace and how he saved you. That's what a follower of Jesus does. They marvel at his grace. But the second thing a follower of Jesus does is they count the cost right these men they left their jobs their family their money their sins their sinful relationships their egos their self-centeredness their priorities their plans and their comforts to follow jesus listen it was a call of grace but it came with a great cost right it's the same call that jesus gives us he would tell them that they would need to forsake their possessions their comforts their personal security and their, per- and their personal relationships. Jesus says in Luke 14, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So hear me. I'm not saying that Jesus is telling us that you need to go and sell everything to follow him, but he might. But he does, for all of us, call to us to hold on to the things of this world loosely and to hold tight to him and his mission, which means that everything is under his lordship in our life, right? Our work, our family, our marriage, our possessions, our time, our thought life, our speech, your life. Jesus basically comes and said, says, you sign at the bottom and I'll fill in the details for you, right? He calls us to love him above everything else in the world and he must be first. And so he not only calls them and us to forsake possessions, comforts, security, and relationships, but he also says to forsake ourselves, our own lives. Mark eight thirty-four says this, G- Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Meaning lay down your desires for Jesus. He's gonna be first. That means that Jesus is the center of our life. A life planned is a life planned that's centered on him. That means our priorities are gonna be set by Jesus. It's a wholehearted lifestyle, right? To casually follow Jesus in moderation is not a committed Christian or a committed follower of Christ. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Jesus's message over and over is in in a world where everything revolves around promoting ourselves, entertaining ourselves, comforting ourselves, taking care of yourself. Jesus calls us to deny yourself. To deny yourself. He isn't just part of our lives. Jesus is our life. And we forsake ourselves and we say no to sin, right? We revolve our lives around Jesus and what he has done for him, for us to please him, right? And we gladly submit to him for this reason. There is no one else that counted the cost greater than Jesus Christ for you. No one counted the cost. So Jesus laid down his life for you. We gladly lay down our lives for Jesus, for he counted the cost. So not only are we marveling at his grace, we're counting the cost. We're going to want to spend time with Jesus. We're going to want to spend time with Jesus. We're going to have a relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him, to relate to him, to be known and loved by him. Even first Peter 3, 18 says, so Christ also suffered once for your for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You hear those words? That he might bring us to God the very purpose that you and I were saved is that so that you and I could be brought near to God to be with God. Right? So meaning I get to spend time with Jesus, right? Jesus died on the cross for us so that you and I could be with God. And it begs the question for me and for all of us is why would we neglect the very thing that Jesus has provided? Hmm. Why would we neglect it to abide in him? To have a relationship with Him, to learn, know, and grow in our love for Him and for others, followers of Jesus want to be with Him, and they'll make time to be with Him. So, fourthly and lastly, followers of Jesus will confess Him before others. Matthew ten thirty two, Jesus says this: "So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will also I will also acknowledge before My Father, is who is in heaven." Unashamedly, we'll confess Him to others as our savior and Lord. When you remember when you came to faith in Jesus and you were baptized, remember that it was a public announcement that you were telling the church and all people that listen, I'm with him. My commitment is with Jesus. I'm a follower of his. And there'll be times in our lives, we're gonna have to stand for him publicly and we'll be tempted to shrink back. But church, hear me. It's impossible to believe this gospel and to know this Jesus and to be silent. A privatized faith and a resurrected Christ is impossible, especially those who understand the grace of Jesus in their life. And so that's what it means to follow him, right? We're gonna marvel at his grace daily. We're gonna count the cost daily. We're gonna spend time with him daily and we're gonna confess him before men. That also means following him means he's, he's first in our life and we fully give our lives because we belong to him. And it's all by grace, right? None of us have earned it. We don't, we don't do this out of earning an acceptance with Jesus, but in response to the grace that we've received. And when we do this in return, Jesus promises to do the second part of the definition of what a disciple is, that he'll change you to be like him. Because when we follow Jesus and abide in him, the Holy Spirit's gonna produce fruit in our lives. When we receive Christ in, by faith, the Spirit comes inside of us begins to work a transforming power in us into the likeness of Jesus. And he starts from the inside out. He'll change our hearts and we'll produce fruit. And many of you know, the longer you've been walking with Jesus, the more you're transformed by the spirit, the more and more we're gonna look like him. Romans 8, 29 says, uh, Paul writes, he states that we will be transformed and conformed into the image, to his image in all things. So what are those all things? First, if we're going to be changed by Christ, that means we're going to put on his character. We're going to have his character. You remember the the famous passage from Galatians 5 talking about describing the fruit of the spirit that's produced in the life of a believer when they're abiding in Christ? It was Jesus himself who produced this fruit perfectly. And he called us to love. A love from self to others, a love for God and others because we've been loved by him. It was a call of joy to find our joy in him and not our circumstances, just as he took great delight in the Father. It was a call of peace. Jesus, who is our peace, defeated our greatest enemy and in him we find rest. It was a call of patience. We endure as Jesus endured and we're patient with one another as Jesus was patient with you. It was a call of kindness as he has shown kindness to us. Then there's goodness, there's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all evidences of a heart that's being changed by Christ and our character. But other things besides our character, it's our conduct and our priorities. A follower of Jesus has was mentioned earlier that we've been saved to produce good works that glorify God and demonstrate his love to the world. Philippians 1.11 says that we will live a life that lives righteously and serves God faithfully. So not only will you have a love for God and others, but you'll choose things like integrity. We'll choose things like honesty. We'll lead with compassion because Christ has had compassion on us. We'll serve with humility because no one laid down their life in humility like Jesus did for us. And we'll give generously because our God is a giver and we'll imitate him. Even our thoughts, our words, our actions will change and we'll reflect Jesus to the people around of us We'll even be obedient disciples, right? Be doers of the word as Jesus showed complete obedience to the father. We'll take sin seriously and we'll put sin to death by the work of the spirit and yield to him, right? We'll say no to sin and yes to Jesus. But overall, when we're talking about being changed by Jesus, we're gonna do the things that he does. We're gonna live the way he lived. We're gonna walk the way he walked and we're gonna love the way he loved. But it requires a heart change that God will produce fruit in our lives that will bring him glory to a watching world. It kind of reminds me of my love for barbecue. If you know me well enough that I have a great love for barbecue. And uh, everyone knows the best time to eat barbecue or eat off the butt is when it's on the smoker, right? Because that's when it's got the most juice, right? It's It's the tastiest, it doesn't dry out. And so you can start picking pieces off there, right? And so there's nothing like, for me at least, I love being near it. I love the smell of it. And I obviously love to taste it, right? But when I go back into the house, the first thing the girls will tell me, they'll look at me and say, ew, you smell like barbecue smoke. It's just all over you, right? It's all over you. And the question becomes why? It's because I've been around it. And I love it, right? I have a great love for it. I want to be near it. (laughs) If I could be so descriptive, right? I love the taste to taste it and to have it. And not only when we think about Jesus and him changing us, it's like barbecue smoke, but with a purpose. Second Corinthians 2.15 says this, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are perishing. When we're changed by Jesus, we're gonna start to smell and we're gonna act like him, right? We'll love people the way he loved. The spirit makes us relational people with with an eternal perspective, using relationships to lead a broken world to Jesus. Can you imagine a better picture than being the kind of person who shows others what Jesus is like with your life? And when we do, we'll want to commit to the mission of Jesus, which is the third part of the definition, being committed to the mission of fishing for men. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I think too often we equate being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, just the following part and being changed a little. I think it's too often, uh, we're not becoming, we're not we have to understand that we're not becoming Christ-like unless we're reaching the lost and making disciples who make disciples. This is what it means to bear fruit, right? It's a distinguishing mark of those who do the father's will when we abide in him. And so I don't want us this morning to miss the last part of the definition, right? We're not becoming mature disciples unless we're committed to his mission, meaning we're gonna reproduce the life of Christ first in us and then in others. This is the command from our Lord. And it's the heartbeat of all we're called to do and be, especially as we go to the nations and also as we live here. And let me remind us again, it's not for the gifted, not for the elite, not for the professionals and not even for the extroverted, right? God calls us to reach the lost. You remember the grace of Jesus in your life, as we talked about earlier, how he saved you from your sin. Let that propel you this morning to obey him gladly to fish for men, right? Even Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. And what we're doing is we're inviting people to come and see, to come and know him, to be reconciled to him, to follow him, and to be changed by him, to tell them who and what we have found and experienced in Jesus. Here's the beauty of it. We don't have to have all the answers, but Jesus calls us to testify to what he's done for us, right? We don't convert people. Jesus does that through the spirit. We're just the instrument. The spirit is the power. And the beauty of the commission is that we go in his authority and he promises to be with us, right? In reaching the lost. But he also calls us, when we're talking about being committed to the mission, we're called to build up the body within. Second Timothy 2.2, Paul tells Timothy, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. In other words, you who teach, you're to teach others who will go teach others, right? To what? To follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus, and be committed to the mission of Jesus. Even Titus two, three through five, Paul tells Titus to have older women invest in younger women. This is the prescription of the Bible. But even down to you as a parent this morning, when we're talking about investing and modeling what it looks to follow Jesus, made me think of my daughter this week. And on Wednesday nights, the kids are going through this book, it's called Foundations and basically <clears throat> it it's, helps her cultivate uh, a habit of meeting with Jesus daily and in his word, praying to him and praying for the lost. And in those times, I'm teaching her how to read her Bible and how to pray to God and how to pray for the lost. But she's also watching me invest in other men and share my faith with others. And so what I'm calling her to, I'm modeling in my life as an example, and she's watching me, Right? Even at nine years old, I'm telling my daughter, I'm going to teach and I'm going to model for you what it means to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus and be committed to his mission. And I tell her, Jesus in turn expects you as a follower to do likewise one day, to invest in others, to follow Jesus, to be changed by Jesus and be committed to his mission. Now I tell you that this morning, not to build myself up. But I tell you that this morning because it's never too early to teach and point our kids to Christ and his mission, because in that is where there's pure and full satisfaction in following him. But even Ephesians four says that if every member is called to build up the body of Christ gifts to work together, to do what, to fulfill the great commission, to help people become like Jesus and be committed to his mission. You know, the new Testament describes the church as a family, where they're spiritual parents and they're spiritual children. And we model with our lives and invest in one another, how to follow, how to be changed and how to commit to his mission. But I think we all know, even in our discipleship relationships, it's a slow process. I'm I'm living proof of that. It takes time. It's not like a microwave where I can pop something in this afternoon and, and heats up in two minutes, right? It takes time. And it's a process where we're investing in others just like children where we're gonna feed them, right? But when we feed them, we're gonna teach them how to feed themselves with the goal of sending them out to feed others. This is what disciples who make disciples who make disciples. This was Jesus's command of multiplication. And so mature believers or followers will invest and model following Christ to spiritual children because it's all about relationships. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, Chip, I've never really done this before. It seems super hard sharing my faith, being invested in and investing in others. Let me tell you a story. I hope this will be helpful for you. If you know anything about me, I love the game of baseball. And in fact, when I was younger, loved it. When I say loved it, I loved it. And my highlight of my life is when I got to be By my sophomore year in high school on the school team, I was named the MVP of the team one year. Now, that was my only highlight of my life. (laughs) But, But what you don't know about me is that I had to work hard at it because playing the game did not come naturally for me. I had coaches who invested in me. They encouraged me. They held me accountable as I worked at it. Now, my brother, on the other hand, the game came sort of natural for him. Super gifted, right? It almost made me sick. (laughs) But you know what the common denominator was for both of us? Is that Andy and I both love the game of baseball. And in my case, I was willing to do whatever it took to play well, right? What's your point, Chip? Just because sharing our faith, investing in others, or being invested in is hard, doesn't mean we don't do it. I did whatever it took to play baseball well because I love the game and I knew what it took. When we're following Jesus, we're being changed by Jesus, we'll gladly share our faith, we'll be invested in, and we'll invest in others to make disciples because of our love for Christ. Because we can't, we'll can't, marvel and not get over the fact of what he's done for us. We'll gladly obey his command together, right? The beauty of this, all of this, this definition of a disciple and command of Christ is the beauty that we have to get to do this together as a church. We get to do this as a church. We don't have to do this alone. We get to do this together, right? So let me challenge you this year. Together, let's, let's follow Jesus the way he commanded and the way he modeled for us. Let's follow Jesus and be changed by him together. Every day, let's seek to draw close to Jesus. Let's saturate our lives in his word and in prayer, to know him, to learn from him, to grow in him, and rely on him as we abide in him. That means there might be some changes in our life. That might mean that we're placing Jesus first in our life and we're living to please him. I think too often, especially in the West, the pace of our lives, the demands of our days choke out our time with him. And even Mark writes about it in the parable of the soils, the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, they don't produce fruit. Let's set, a ti- let's set time together daily. Let's held e- hold each other accountable. Let's encourage each other. Maybe it's a reading plan this year. We get in groups of three or four where we're holding one another accountable. Ch- being ch- we're looking to follow Jesus, be changed and be committed to his mission together. Maybe most importantly to remember is, is we're reading for relationship. We're not just memorizing verses, but we want to be obedient to them. We're not just learning a bunch of facts. First Timothy 1 Timothy 1.5 says, he writes, the goal of our instruction is love. It's love. It's a love for God and a love for people. Hear me when I say this this morning. Church, if we're not growing in our love for God and for people in our Bible studies, we miss the whole thing. Jeez, let Jesus this year transform you and let's put him first together. Amen. Two, let's also be committed to his mission together this year. Let's reach the lost. Luke 19 says this, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Let's let his heart be ours. This year, let's go to the nations, Lord willing, <laughs> with COVID. But Let's go to the nations. Let's go to our communities and let's tell them of the hope of Jesus. Knowing they can be forgiven of their sin and restored to God and live for a greater purpose where there's real lasting joy. Church, there's no accident this morning where you live. It's no accident where you work. It's no accident where you recreation, the stores you go to, the restaurants you attend. Can we together this year, let's leverage those to reach the lost together. Let's pray for them. Let's engage them in conversation. Let's invite them out to eat. Let's get to know them and care for them and share how Jesus has changed your life. And if the spirit leads, Share how they can know him personally. But remember this, it's Jesus who does the work. He just calls us to be faithful to the task. But lastly, not just sharing with the lost, but let's invest in a few this year. When we look at the life of Jesus, he made it a priority to invest in a few people for maximum impact. Can I challenge you this year? As spiritual parents and spiritual children, let's invest and model in one another how to follow Jesus, how to be changed by Jesus and be committed to his mission together. Let's love God together. Let's read his word together. Let's pray together. Let's share the gospel together. Let's help one another stand strong in our trials with the whole purpose of making disciples who will go and teach others how to be followers of Jesus. It's not a program in a church, it's relationships that will produce lasting fruit, just like Jesus's plan. There are many spiritual children in our church and even in other churches over the world that never produce fruit because no one has ever invested in them spiritually and ever taught them how to walk with God. Let's, let's make a difference this year in one another. Let's get to know people that we don't necessarily hang around with and know. Let's invest. Let's build up the body of Christ together and let's multiply in our ministries just like Jesus would. Church discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus was. Jesus would be if he were you. This year, 2022, let's follow him. Let's be changed by him and let's be committed to his mission. Let me pray.